0: Welcome to the Kids First Podcast. My name is Chris Neely, and I'm the superintendent of the South Carolina Public Charter School District. This week, we've got a very special guest joining us. Trey Walker is the Chief of Staff to South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster. He's been in that leadership role since January of 2017. Trey has over 30 years of experience in government relations, political consulting, agency management, and crisis communication, both at the state and the national level. Trey is responsible for the day-to-day management of the governor's office and its administration. He also oversees the legislative agenda, the executive budget, and all major policy initiatives. Prior to serving in the governor's office, he was a government affairs advisor for Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina and a former deputy chief of staff to former governor Nikki Haley. Trey and I have known each other since the late 1980s when we were going to the University of South Carolina together and we've worked together on several different occasions in different political organizations and i've got to say he doesn't grab the headlines he supports his governor and his friend henry mcmaster and he's been one of the most loyal advisors to the governor over the years but he's one of the most influential people in our state he has been behind many of the key legislative initiatives in the last several years whether it was economic development our school choice, which is what we're going to talk about today, Trey has been an integral leader in that. Trey, welcome to the Kids First podcast.
1: Thank you. I would like to get an introduction like that every morning. It'd be great. Yeah, I <laughs> Thank know. You. Don't well, hear that much, but I appreciate it. It's glad. I'm glad to be here. Um, boy, we do have a long history together. So let's get to talking about it.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, it does. It goes back to uh, it goes back to the late '80s and. You know, just full disclosure here, we've been best friends for a long time and we're fraternity brothers. Um, I will say, I mean, Trey's got quite the personality. He always has. He's the same man today that I knew then. But in our fraternity, he was the social chairman of CASA fraternity and I was the scholarship chairman. And I, you know, <laughs> those two kind of go divergent in college. But Trey made sure he knew how to organize events. He knew how to get people together. And he's been great at that his entire life. And, Trey, I think that's one of the great skills that you bring to the governor's office and, and really to the state is the relationship piece. What I've noticed with Governor McMaster is, you know, he came in and he knew right away he had to work with the General Assembly. And because of your experience and the way you bring people together, I think y'all have been so effective in getting things done because of your leadership and the governor saying, look, we got to work with these guys.
1: Right. Well, you know, Henry has, the governor has had that experience with those members of the General Assembly for a long time. I mean, he was chairman of the state Republican Party in the 90s and many of the leaders who are leading the General Assembly now, uh, he helped get elected as chairman of the party so he had those relationships but also it's his personality it's how he operates it's how he operated as attorney general and that is he is a very collaborative person he believes in cooperation collaboration and communication we we say it every day and uh, it works for him he had to be the governor and the person he is and so he's at his age, people sometimes refer to the governor being older. I look at it as an as an asset in that he's probably the most comfortable person in his own skin in the state house, and it shows. So that's his governance style. It's suited him well. I think it's suited the state well. I think the legislators enjoy it. That's not to say that we do not have policy disagreements. That's right. That's right. That's not to say that we haven't thrown elbows and and uh, gotten cross with one another from time to time. Um, but, you know, it's the old adage, it's it's not the fact that you disagree, it's how you disagree. And so even when he's disagreeing, he's agreeable, if if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, you know, the way I look at the governor, he really kind of has that that President Ronald Reagan approach to, you know, what we're going to agree on 85% and 15% we might not agree on. But I would say that from my observation point, there's been a lot more agreement on the key things that are going to move our state forward. And, and I tell you, when it comes to school choice, I, I don't know if the governor considers himself this, but he's definitely a a kid's first champion, but I really think he's the first education governor we've had in this state in several decades. I mean, what he has done to expand school choice in our state by putting kids first. And I'll just go back to the pandemic. Trey, I remember calling you back during the pandemic. We had 25% enrollment growth because parents were looking at the computer screens of their kids. They didn't like what they saw. They started pulling their kids out and sending them to private schools and charter schools and home schools. And I went to you and I said, Trey, we didn't budget for this. We didn't expect all this growth, and you and the governor just stepped up big time and literally saved charter schools during the pandemic.
1: Well, you're generous, but you are correct. And uh, the pandemic was disruptive for a lot of things. It disrupted the workplace. It disrupted the labor market. It disrupted schools. It disrupted everything. And to your point, one of the things that the governor was very adamant about is that we had to get our children back in the classroom. They were losing what progression they had made. They were actually regressing in in some cases. And parents also had to work. So this is a stool that needs all three legs for someone to sit on it or for it to operate. And if parents can't get to the workplace and business owners can't fill a shift, they can't operate their businesses. So then people are unemployed. Businesses go under. The economy begins to crater, and we know that in our state, we are very manufacturing, very tourist-heavy, agribusiness as well, and that requires people. That requires people to show up. That requires people to come and spend money in our state. That's right. Uh, It requires also people to grow things and be allowed to have those products placed in grocery stores, Um, We saw that meat was a problem. We saw that all those things. It was all interdependent. So what you saw in that disruption was parents seeking sort of in the free market of necessity. They had to go to work. They were looking for options. Charter schools gave them that option. Yeah, we stayed open. Stayed open. In-person classroom. That was very, very, very valuable. So I, I think we should thank the charter schools for one, demonstrating that it could be done, and two, doing it to keep a segment of our population going. I think that it's decisions like that that were made by folks using common sense is why our economy not only survived, but it thrived coming out of the pandemic. We were able to to normalize things much quicker. In many cases, they didn't need normalizing. But we were able to move quicker, and um, so thank you to the charge schools for doing that because it was a contentious period of time trying to get these school districts to open up their classrooms so parents could go to work and make a living. You know, you can't put food on the table if you're not working. Yeah, that's right. and. We could talk about the mixed messages that a lot of folks were getting from washington that there was a free lunch that you could sit on the couch and you didn't need to go to work those have all turned out to be erroneous assumptions and what we see now is we see labor disruption we've got folks that are changing the way they work where they work how they work and that's happening in the education marketplace as well of ideas so there are a lot of good things that came out of the pandemic there are a lot of bad things that we learned that we should never do um so thank you again for y'all's leadership in stepping up and staying open well I,
0: i i tell you the thanks really goes to the teachers and the school leaders um because they were on the front lines in the classrooms they had to be they had to be present they had to be open but I will say that the governor standing up and saying South Carolina is not going to close. We're open for business. We're open for school. And you're right. I mean, I'm, we're working parents, and my kids had to have a place to go to school. They couldn't be at home. They weren't going to learn. Um, you know my story about my son Marsh, and he's got Down syndrome. He was not going to learn sitting at home in front of a tablet. He needed to be with his teacher. And the only way you could do that and be effective is in person. So the proof is in the putting. I mean, the bottom line is when we look at the report cards for our traditional schools and charter schools this past year, um, and I just presented on this last week at the House Ways and Means K-12 subcommittee, charter schools outpaced the state average in math and reading. We outpaced the state on the ACT and the SAT. So the proof is there, and these are post-pandemic numbers Mm -hmm. in the South Carolina Mm -hmm. state report card. But overall, as a state, when you look at the nation's report card that came out just a few months ago, South Carolina maintained itself. We didn't see big gains or anything, but we didn't lose like a lot of other states that really shut down. And so that goes back to the leadership of the governor and you and, and, and everyone over in the General Assembly said, no, kids got to be in school. We've got to allow parents to go work. We've got to keep our economy going, and that's exactly what we did. And as a result, we now, we've, of course, we've got the education data to show that it worked, but also our job numbers continue to go up. People are moving here in droves. I mean, Trey, what are we, like, two, in the top five uh, fastest-growing states in the country?
1: Uh, number six. Number six, yeah. The U.S. Census Bureau between 2020 and 2021. But let me add one thing, though. I, I mentioned earlier about the pandemic um, teaching us things and pandemic showing us things and um, validating the truth that we knew. But one of the things that I think is interesting that the pandemic did is it, it allowed parents, because they had that time, because they were in a new sort of setting in the delivery of their child's education, parents – got a front row seat into what was going on in the classroom for the first time. Yep. Whether it be through virtual or whether it be through engaging the school, trying to get them to open back up. And you saw one of the byproducts of the pandemic is a new surge in parental involvement, especially at the school board level. We've seen that across the country. It started in Loudoun County, Virginia. Yep, that's seems right. to be like the, yeah. the the That was ground zero. Ground for all those. Yeah, I was going to yeah. th- thinking about that. And you know, it continued. You've got these political groups out there, Moms for Liberty, that are engaged on these types of issues. And so we've got parental action and activism at the school board level like we've never had before. And, and by a, the way, that's a good thing. Right. We so, want parents right. to be engaged. So thank you, Dr. Fauci, for getting parents back involved in their children's uh, school that may be the only good thing that he did during the pandemic, and uh, but we learned that parents, when they have that information, when they know what's happening in the classroom, when they discover things that are happening in the classroom, it's where we've started learning about things like CRT. Yeah, we didn't know about that's right. I thought before the pandemic, if you'd have said CRT, I would have thought I was getting a CAT scan or something. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. did and, no. and so these things are all sort of byproducts of the pandemic and it's fascinating but luckily as a state using common sense we were able to keep our state open and we didn't suffer the sort of work stoppages the sputters in the economy that other states did and our tourism industry remained strong our real estate market was out of this world during the pandemic so there were some good things that Uh, came as a result of the pandemic and uh, we'll still see sort of the the bad things I guess with the loss of progression uh, especially from grade school students who are now uh, leaving elementary the elementary setting moving into that middle school setting you know that's where they're going to begin to make their choices about what they want to do in the workforce how they see themselves Um, you know that's when the STEM stuff really starts to take hold as it relates to that they're exposed to career and technology centers in some school districts around the state so it, we're going to know more about what happened I'm not an expert by any means at this but um, we we have heard enough from our experts here in South Carolina know that with a de- declining high school graduation population meaning that the birth rate you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 yeah. years ago began to slow down a little bit coming out of the 90s into the 2000s into the new century. We're going to have fewer high school graduates in South Carolina. That's a real big issue for a future workforce, which to your early, earliest point, that is where the governor's whole education site, his, his aim is, if you will, is and that is to making sure that South Carolina has the workforce. That we need that they're educated and trained in the future so that when we have another redwood or we have another automobile manufacturer or we have another solar panel company all of these electric vehicle battery companies who need engineers who need people with high-tech skills high-tech training certificates if you will and that's going to be a demand so all of this is coming to a head in the next five to ten years that's where the governor's trying to make sure that we're on our best footing, whether it be providing access and affordability into higher education for those who come from lower-income or at-risk households, uh, making sure that they have those choices not only when they want to attend four-year-old kindergarten, but they have them when, if they're Pell-eligible when they want to go to technical college or to a four-year college receive a degree or get those certificates at their local technical college
0: you know the workforce piece is so important and you know in the statute when it comes to charter schools the general assembly back in the the mid 90s and you and i helped get a lot of those people elected that that passed the charter act back in 1996 one of the important pieces of the charter act is that we want charter schools that are innovative we're giving them the autonomy and the freedom But we want you to be innovative. And what was innovative yesterday is not necessarily going to be what's innovative tomorrow. One of the new schools that we have, and I testified on this last week at the state house, is called Palmetto Excel. It's going to be the first adult ed charter school in South Carolina that will help adults over age 21 get a high school diploma so they too can be part of the workforce and maybe even join the military. Um, It's unique in that This model has been tried in other states and it has worked through the Excel centers. But what's neat about it, it has a a corporate partner, so Palmetto Goodwill down in Charleston. It's located on Trident Tech campus. And then, of course, it's going to be focused on these adults and help them get a diploma. The high school diploma still means something. You know, we get so caught up sometimes on having a four-year college degree and kids have now got to go get a master's to be relevant – But they're missing out on all these years of work where they could be productive citizens. You don't necessarily have to have a four-year degree in psychology to be a productive citizen. I mean, Trey, I imagine that part of the governor's plan is looking, how can we be creative when it comes to maybe credentials and certificates and other programs to help our adults in South Carolina be productive citizens?
1: Well, I think, first off, right now, thanks to the governor starting – workforce scholarships for the future during the pandemic using those federal uh, CARES Act funds, we were able to open up our technical colleges and our our trades to students who needed that access and affordability to get that certificate. In many cases, Chris, a lot of the folks didn't know that they were Pell eligible. They didn't know how to fill out their FASA Uh, paperwork to find out so with these workforce scholarship grants the state of course is the payer of last uh, result meaning that Pell grants and any other scholarship monies must be used first before you have access to the state dollars but to your point technical college now for a certificate for a a credential uh, even for many associates degrees is functionally free now that's right so there's no excuse we've got Jobs waiting on people. We've got free technical education if you want it. There's We've no got ex- charter
0: schools located right. on on our technical mm-hmm. college campuses where kids are getting dual enrolled.
1: And, and, and that is sort of the holistic involvement with K-12 and the technical schools that we're seeing now. Done a lot out of the pandemic, out of necessity, but also that necessity of having to have that workforce in the future. You know, The companies know it. We know it. Um, You know, we've got electric vehicle battery manufacturer that is locating in Florence. You know, they've got to find 3,000 employees in the PD. Wow. And those are high-skilled jobs. So that's going to be a lift, and the state's going to have to help with that. And that's why these workforce scholarships, among other things, are very helpful tools for the state to have in its toolbox. And, you know, access and affordability goes – into the four-year colleges too, where the governor in the last five years has increased the level of financial aid uh, through needs-based grants, through tuition grants that go to the private colleges for tuition. He's increased that from $17 million to $100 million. Wow. So that is also providing access and affordability to those lower-income students who may not have been able to afford attending Clemson or South Carolina, or the Citadel, Wofford, uh, any of those schools, both public and private. It, it It's really had an impact with the HBCUs, too. Yeah. With Benedict and with Allen, Voorhees, Claflin, uh, Morris, all of those private uh, HBCUs, they've really benefited from those extra scholarship dollars. Yeah, on that point,
0: um, we're being real intentional about partnering with those HBCUs, because you know they're producing teachers. And we wanna, we wanna be able to say, look, you can go to the traditional public school and be a teacher, or you can come be a teacher in one of our public charter schools. Oh, and by the way, you've got a lot more freedom and autonomy in the classroom to do your magic. Um, we were just down at the Black Educators Conference in Charleston just a couple of weeks ago. And that's the message we have is like, we wanna make people aware that charter schools are public schools too. We're free everybody's welcome we don't have some kind of like test or criteria to let kids in we have a lottery so it's fair and random uh, but we're doing a lot of that and I think the HBCUs in our state um, can play in a very important role so I'm glad to hear about the governor's work there I want to speak about access and, and affordability um, especially when it comes to whether it's technical colleges or one of our four-year public universities you remember a few years ago, we were in a meeting together and I brought up about the Clemson Life Program, mm-hmm. um, that where students with intellectual disabilities have the opportunity to go and attend Clemson. And of course, we have a Carolina Life Program, Coastal, Winthrop, College of Charleston, and now USEA can all have programs. No one had ever paid attention to the fact that those parents couldn't qualify for the, the lottery scholarship. And the governor was the first to do that three years ago. And y'all have continued to increase the amount of money invested. And, in, you know, look, you know, the program at Clemson is ideal for my son, Marsh, because most of their students have Down syndrome. But each of these programs offer kids an opportunity to go to college. Trace, speak to that, because when we talk about the workforce, and, of course, just the other day, the news came out, the governor was going to have a press conference this week about getting rid of the sub-minimum wage where we were paying people with intellectual disabilities pennies on the dollar for doing the same work that you and I would do. It just hit me that the governor, we talk about kids first. He's been our people first. Right. And it it just inspires me to see what Governor McMaster and you and your team are doing to help people with with disabilities. Well, the,
1: the life program, the Clemson Life Program, that was an easy one. And thank you all for making us aware of it because, you know, like everything, when you work, in a governor's office, you you know a little about a whole lot of things, but just a little. Yeah. And the information and the exposure that we got to what they were really doing at Clemson beyond just a, a pamphlet beyond that's right like learning exactly what was happening with these uh, young adults' lives that they were being taught how to shop in a grocery store, how to open up a checking account, how to apply for a job they were teaching them life skills that their peers at clemson and other majors may not be doing they may take for granted but the thing that really i think sunk it for the governor was that the program was designed to make them functioning productive members of their community yep in their adulthood and that was a fantastic program that is fits right in with getting these folks into the workforce and there's a spot for everybody in the workforce that's right so that's what really really uh, caught the governor's attention and um, that's why i think their funding went from seven hundred thousand dollars a year to i think a little over three million dollars a year recurring now yeah so no, that's right that's a, that's a great program Clemson does a great job. Carolina does a great job. All the schools do a great job with it. But it's 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 being done with the outcomes that we need, meaning yeah. workforce, meaning productive folks who are generating production in our economy rather than taking from it, if you will.
0: Yeah, my my wife Janie likes to say, I've got to live one minute longer than my son. One of the greatest moments of angst for any parent with a child with a disability is the idea that what happens to them when I'm gone. And so the fact that we live in a state where my son can get a good quality education K through 12, he goes to a charter school here in Columbia. The fact that he will have the opportunity to go, um, hopefully Clemson life, but it could be Carolina life or any of them. The point is he'll get to experience that, get those job skills that you were talking about, get a certificate and then get employed so that in its most basic part, he can can take care of himself to a certain, you know, degree. And then he's got two siblings that are going to have to step up because I'm not going to live forever. But this gives a lot of parents hope. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I want to just thank you and the governor for that. It started with you, though, Trey. I mean, it started with a conversation. You took it to the governor. And uh, I remember he did an event with Clemson Life about a year and a half ago. And I watched that online and – I mean, I could tell the governor was just inspired by these young people who had the same desire to want to be their, their best and to reach their full potential as all of our other kids. Let me talk to you about your kids for, for a minute because, you know, you and your wife, Allie, have also exercised school choice. I always tell people, I said, it started with my kids first and then over the course of the last several years has evolved into a school choice movement here in South Carolina where we we're, we we want to put all kids first how important is it cuz you've exercised this i mean i'm a product of public schools but when the pandemic hit my son was going to the local high school and there was nothing going on, on his computer screen right and he was just sitting at home for 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 a year and we said enough of that we pulled him out and and he's going to a parochial school here in town and he'll graduate this may but You know, y'all did a similar thing, you know, with your daughter. I mean, how important is it for parents to have that
1: option? I think it's incredibly important. And for parents who need that option, it's even more important. Because if you need that option, it may be, having that option may be the difference between being able to take a job and not take a job. It might be the difference in a pay raise. It might be the difference in being able to afford a new house uh, moving out of an apartment or a rental situation so it's it's very important that when those parents need that you mentioned the life program you know one of the things for children with special needs is there are different special needs there's not just one yeah. there's not you can't say that's the kid no. for, that's the school for special needs no no there, there are physical special needs there are mental special needs there are all kinds that there are health needs and that is one of the things that I believe that the charter school uh, program in South Carolina has, evolved, has matured into and that is the offerings are so diverse now um, around whether it be values based, whether it be based on uh, poverty, whether it be based on special needs, there seems to be a, a niche, if you will, for all those parents to find that sort of delivery system, that education environment that suits what their child needs. And I think that is when we are seeing the final maturation, if you will, of where the state is heading with charters. You know, There are other opportunities that are being considered, like the education scholarship accounts, that will also provide parents with additional choices. Um, and that's good. And you know, the free market operates. We saw the free market operate in the pandemic. That's right. Parents voted with their feet. They did. And what did, they, what did most of them do? They wanted to go where their kids could, one, go to school first, receive in-person instruction. And then, as we saw through the pandemic, it was, I just don't know that I really like what my child is being taught at X school or I'm not comfortable with that or they're not mature enough to handle these types of subjects so then the pandemic parents becoming more involved in the curriculum seeing what's going on in the classrooms that also gave fuel to the fire for people wanting alternatives and so now those different niches are being filled by those parents who now know that they want their child. Nothing wrong with the other schools that they're, That's right. they're leaving, no. but it's just not for them. I found myself as a parent in that situation, yep. where my daughter's school was just not for her. That's right, and for a multitude of reasons, which I won't get into, but and we found some place that fit her needs. That was absolutely for the time and when it happened was perfect for her and us yep and it happened right as the pandemic was starting so my daughter actually graduated in may of 2020 during the pandemic she enrolled at carolina in august of 2020 in the pandemic my son graduated from carolina during the pandemic although he didn't have a graduation ceremony he got to see his name on the Jum- yeah. On the football stadium, jump. Yeah, he chart. and my
0: daughter Jordan, the same year. Yep. I mean, Jordan, did, Jordan graduated in our living room from the Citadel. Wow. Um, I feel for those kids, um, but you're right. You, you made what the best decision for your daughter at that time. And, um, and, and by the way,
1: I'd like to mention this this is one of the first times I'd heard of this. I'm sure it happens, but my daughter is the first person I'd ever heard of that went to Carolina. Her freshman year, and based on her grades, her freshman year, she earned a life scholarship. Her freshman year, s- so many students wow. lose that. You lose yeah. that life scholarship. Yeah. There's a there's a pretty s- stiff attrition rate mm-hmm. uh, from freshman to sophomore year on losing those life scholarships. And she actually earned one and has maintained it since. Yeah. So, congratulations. Well, on congratulations that. to her because she did it. I didn't. Yeah. But. Um, I, I think that if she, she had not had that experience her senior year in high school and had not had the experience she had at Carolina um, her freshman year, going through the pandemic and having them be uh, separated from roommates and all of that stuff, the testing that was going on at USC at the time, I mean, it was, it was a lot for a freshman student to have to deal with and the fact that she was able to, to make those good grades and progress through her academic career is, is, is pleasing to her mother. Her mom and I are thrilled. So. Well, I
0: know, I know you're proud of her. And those pandemic kids, though, I mean, the, the last three, four years, I mean, that has been challenging on that generation. I do believe it's going to make them all tougher. Um, we don't know what the future looks like. I, I, I hope that those who persevered through it um, and are, are demonstrating they can excel now um, in this new world that we're in, um, are going to have the the strength, the character, and the resiliency to better push through the challenges of the future. Um, because we're going to have more challenges. Um, the world today is tough. I'm I'm glad I didn't come up today, and I grew up in the '80s. I feel I'm i I look back with fond memories of the '80s, and I feel like we had the best of everything. Um, but our kids, yeah, I think we, we I think we're, were a
1: little tougher than you give us credit for.
0: No, I know. Uh, well, we were last kid. We were the first last key kids. I mean, I was coming home, and mom and dad was working, and we were the first generation to do that on our own. And we may
1: have been the last generation to go outside first thing in the morning and come back home after dark. That's exactly and, right. And and be have that just desire to get outside.
0: Yeah, we lived outside. Yeah. No, we talk about that often. I mean, and in fact, quite frankly, I think that's where I learned a lot about the importance it is to have relationships with people and um Trey I've got to say I, I've enjoyed this conversation um you know I value the relationship that you and I have we don't get to see each other every day um you're you're a very busy person doing big things for our state and for our governor and it's making a huge difference and I'm telling you uh, and we we didn't even have a chance to talk about the funding for me I got to hit on that real quickly sure um For years, charter schools every year had to go before the General Assembly and beg for money in a proviso Mm -hmm. so that we could just have enough money to survive the next year. And it started with you and the governor's office and Melanie Barton and the governor coming together and saying, look, we need to work with the General Assembly to come up with a sustainable funding formula for all public schools in South Carolina. Let's put them all in the pot and let's let the money follow the child no matter which public school they go to. And... And I just want to thank uh, you and the governor and your team for advocating for that. It has been a game changer for us this year. We've been able to grow without fear of not having enough money to 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 fund the child. It gives us predictability for the future. Quite frankly, I think it's good for the state because now there's predictability on the state's part.
1: Right. Um, well, you can't plan. You can't run a business like that. It just didn't make sense. But I I, I would I, and I appreciate the the compliments to the governor, and and they're well-deserved for the governor. But if I've got a second, I want to tell a quick little story. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that the governor's success with the General Assembly on education issues can be directly pointed to the decision that he made to reach out to Melanie Barton and to try to get her to come to work for him, and there's a funny story. So – I credit Mike Sheely, who was the director of the Senate Finance Committee for Senator Leatherman for so many years, with the idea. And he, after Governor McMaster was sworn in, met with me and he said, you know, the governor's office needs a full-time professional credentialed education advisor. Someone that speaks peer-to-peer with folks in the education world. And so the governor called Melanie Barton. She was, at the time, the executive director of the, what is it, uh, the Education Oversight Committee. Yep, EOC. And uh, brought her in and said, we're thinking about hiring an education advisor. Could you think about some names of people that would be, be good? And she said she would. And she came back a week later with her names. And before she, of course, started reading off the names, the governor says, well, Melanie, I, I think we've made our decision. Would you be interested in being the education advisor (laughs) the whole time? It was we were going to pitch her on the job, and she agreed. And all of these wonderful proposals that have happened in concert with the general assembly, by and large, have Melanie's fingerprints all over them. So when you talk about the funding formula for charters and funding formula that the new K twelve funding formula that we've done, where we've reduced the twenty nine funding streams down to just a couple simplify the simplify but for Melanie Barton I'm not sure any of those things would have happened so um she deserves a lot of credit the governor deserves a lot of credit for hiring her and so that's a little behind the scenes story yeah I love that. that happened but she really is brilliant she's going to be a great asset uh for Ellen Weaver the new superintendent of education to work with in the governor's office because they work together on the EOC, and they are friends, and I think it's going to be a, a great working relationship.
0: I totally agree, and Melanie has been a great partner with the charter schools and with the South Carolina Public Charter School District. I can email and call her or just drop by uh, anytime, and her door has always been open, and she loves policy, and I, I love to about float ideas with her, and she's, she's always willing to look in and see, is this something we could do here in South Carolina? And um, so, no, you're right. She's been a, an integral part of, of the education agenda in the governor's office and Governor McMaster's success on education issues. Um, you know, I know we don't directly benefit from the ESA bill, but when you're about putting kids first, then you need to be about putting all kids first. And that is even those kids in South Carolina who want some other option, whether it's they want to be homeschooled, go to a parochial or private school, um, or any of these other new school models that are out there that are growing around the country like micro schools. Um, I think we need to be open to what parents think is best for their kids. So, Trey, as we close, you're on an elevator at the state house, and you're coming down from the top floor back to your office in the governor's office and somebody's on the elevator with you, and they say, Trey, you know, the governor's been about all these school choice initiatives. You know, why? Why do you and the governor support all these school choice initiatives? Why is it important for the future of South Carolina? What's your pitch? It's simple.
1: If we are going to compete for jobs and capital in the future in South Carolina, we're going to continue to grow and prosper and bring prosperity to generations of South Carolinians, we've got to have an educated workforce that can do it. You've got to have an educated workforce that works. You've got to have a community that's safe. You have to have families that are together and you have to have a good environment. The governor talks about it all the time. You get all those things together and you've got a recipe for paradise or as we call it, South Carolina.
0: I love it. Paradise is South Carolina. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Trey, listen, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Kids First Podcast. Friends, this is the first podcast I've ever done in my life, so. so oh, really? I'm, I'm surprised. I'm glad, I'm glad I
1: got to do it with you.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Trey. I, I love you like a brother, and uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, I'm excited to to see, you know, what all you and the governor and Melanie and your team will do in the future on school choice issues. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, but, uh, very appreciative of, of the initiatives that we've seen, uh, come through the general assembly and the state house. And, uh, very, very appreciative of the fact you all put kids first. That's what we're all about. Friends. Thank you for joining us for this kid to first podcast with Trey Walker. Um, you know, every one of these conversations, you know, I learned something new. It's inspiring And it gives me hope for the future when it comes to giving every child in South Carolina a chance for them to reach their full potential. Again, thank you. We'll talk to you next week on the Kids First Podcast.